This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And Eric, before we dive into this recruiting show this national signing day recap show we're remind fans out there if you're not a subscriber to duckterritory.com why not and if you are interested you can get in to our membership onto our site for an unreal deal right now your first month goes one dollar and then after that you get regular pricing of nine dollars and 95 cents or you could go all in you could buy an annual membership and, and get 60 percent off that first year your first year would be billed $42.96 uh, upfront, one-time payment. Uh, but if you look at that, it's $3.58 a month opposed to paying $9.95 the entire year. So if you're on the fence about doing it, I highly encourage you to. Uh, you've, you've got inside scoop. You've got expert analysis. You've got content across the entire 24-7 sports network, uh, a great community. And look, recruiting is year-round now, and uh, Oregon is going to be one of the best teams in the recruiting sphere under Mario Cristobal for the, for some time now. And it's been that case again in the, in the year 2020. Eric, they've announced their final signings of the 2020 recruiting class. We have the bios in front of us now. I, we should note that uh, today was a little kooky because um, – the month of January was like as low key, Eric, as I can remember it. I've covered Oregon football since the 2009 season here on DuckTerritory.com. You've been around uh, either for us or with Scout previously right around that same amount of time. You and I both have followed Oregon recruiting well before 2009. And this is like the most low key January I can ever remember because – Oregon was basically going after three or four prospects during the month of January. They'd signed 21 of their 22 recruits. Uh, I should say they signed all 21 of the guys that, that, that were committed to Oregon on national signing day in December. And they only added one more player in January and February, which is Jason Jones. And, and, and we'll get to him down the road, but this is as low key of a January as I can remember. And it really just made this month and this and this day for Oregon, anticlimactic. I'm currently rereading the email about today's press conference to see if it says anything about National Signing Day on it, and it doesn't. And uh, what makes me wonder if if, today, if they even realized today was National Signing Day, sort of, because uh, you're right. Uh, there was nothing new at today's press conference. Both Coach Mario Cristobal and new offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead did speak for each for about 15 minutes earlier today. Uh, today being Wednesday. Uh, but there really wasn't, like you said, anything from a recruiting perspective to talk about because Jason Jones, who does end up announcing his commitment at about 1230 this afternoon, uh, that was about two hours after Mario Cristobal spoke with reporters. And so at that point, he has nothing to talk about, and all he can really talk about with this class are two players who signed in December but were not – I guess the announcement hadn't taken place when he spoke last, so he did talk about – both quarterback Robbie Ashford and cornerback Dante Manning um, 
extensively today. But other than that, you're right. It really was not a football recruiting uh, national signing day press conference. That really wasn't what was spoken about most. In fact, I would say the majority of the questions asked to Cristobal were about uh, things other than national signing day, whether it be Joe Moorhead, whether it be uh, a couple of you know moves that they've made on, on the roster. And we'll get to some of that in a moment here, whether it be kind of how some of the early enrollees have looked. Uh, that, that Those were the discussion points. There really wasn't anything from a current updating recruiting perspective to be had. Um, and you're right. So it felt weird. I mean, we, we get there and, and there was nobody to talk about, really. At least that was new. And Jason Jones commits, like we said, a couple hours afterwards. And that means that Cristobal won't have comment, at least not with us, about Jones and what he might bring to the team, um, at least for a couple of weeks when they start off uh, spring football. Uh, so it's kind of a weird deal. You're right. There's literally not a whole lot of buzz. It doesn't feel like a national signing day. And honestly, just kind of looking around Twitter today. So like just another day. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of hype or, or discussion for really any schools uh, that I saw. Not a whole lot, at least. So, uh, I mean, Georgia had product. a big day. Georgia had a big day landing a couple guys, but Missouri landed a couple guys. Arkansas landed a couple guys. But look, like from from a national perspective, yeah, you're right. Like uh, there there weren't very many fireworks out there, and for Oregon especially, it was as quiet as as a mouse. 100%, 100%. And then, and now we, you know, we've got the Jason Jones commitment. We've got a lot of stuff we can talk about in terms of things Cristobal talked about today. I think the Joe Moorhead, what he brings to Oregon piece is, is something that is, is probably the biggest takeaway along with some news that was kind of like an afterthought in terms of when it was brought up because it was right at the end of Cristobal's 15 minutes when he goes, by the way, we're moving DJ Johnson from defensive end to tight end. And honestly, that might have been like aside from the Joe Moorhead introductory press conference. Kind of like the biggest storyline yep. of the entire of the entire day because Oregon does have uh, issues at tight end. I shouldn't say issues; they're just short there. They don't have a lot of bodies. They didn't sign one in the 2020 class. DJ Johnson's a defensive end uh, who played tight end in high school. I've got his high school stats pulled up in front of me here. He over the course of three years playing tight end in high school, he had 17 catches for 255 yards and a couple of touchdowns. So it's not like he was a super prolific tight end. But Cristobal did say. Uh, that Johnson is very athletic, he moves very well, um, he's a team player, and, quote, uh, we want to find a way to get him on the field as much as possible because he is a team guy and he wants to be here. So um, that, to me, is honestly like that was almost the big, the biggest piece of the, of, the, of the news today, and it was something Crystal just kind of set off to the side almost, uh, I think on the second-to-last question of the 15-minute press conference. Yeah, it it makes sense, um, especially because Oregon didn't sign a tight end during uh, the 2020 cycle. I think that was probably you look at it, and that's probably the one glaring spot that they didn't fill in 2020. That or receiver. Um, Oregon's class finishes for the time being with 22 verbal commitments. They're currently 12th in the 24/7 Sports composite rankings, first in the Pac-12. Uh, they, so they're gonna finish outside the top 10 in the composite. And I understand that, you know, there's other rankings out there that have Oregon in the top 10, but, uh, the 24-7 sports composite takes the three recruiting services, if you're unfamiliar with what that is, and averages out the rankings and spits out an average of the three. And Oregon is 12th in the country, 22 verbal commitments. They are first in the Pac-12, um, we didn't have comment from Mario Cristobal on Jason Jones, like Eric said, because 
He committed a couple hours after the press conference, which is just too bad because Mario's not going to be available to speak for a little bit. Uh, so we'll have to wait on just getting his full comments and fielding questions on Jones. But let's, let's dive into Jason Jones here for a second. Uh, what stands out to you when you've watched his film and, and his impact he could make for Oregon? A, he's a massive human being, and you see why a school like Alabama might have preferred him on the offensive side of the football, on the offensive line as maybe a tackle or a guard prospect. But six foot six, three hundred forty pounds certainly uh, catches your eye when you look at just those pure measurables. But yeah, when you watch him, he moves very well for a guy his size, and he's very very powerful. You know, you expect somebody with that kind of body type to have strong. I guess, leg push, leg drive. I think that's something that stands out when you watch him. Um, I don't want to say he's similar to Jordan Scott um, entirely because he is about five inches taller than Scott. Um, right. and the leverage is a little bit different, but they are similar in that they're both very big body guys that can play in the middle of your defense that can that can garner some, some push and maybe requires the opponent to double team. Um, he's also somebody who's got an injury history. That's going to be something to kind of watch. Uh, you know, I, I wrote on the site today, just kind of in response to his commitment that my expectation, and I could be totally wrong on this, is that he's probably a player that you either play sparingly this year and redshirt, or you don't play much at all this year and you kind of redshirt and build towards 2021 because this year you do have basically not everyone back on the defensive line, but you have a lot of the players back. And I think with the injury history, with maybe trying to get him, maybe get his body where you want him to be, because when you come out, come in at 340, it's kind of hard sometimes uh, to maybe play it that weight or to make sure that that's the best weight or the best body type you want. I could see him being a guy that they want a year under uh, with the, both, both the medical staff but also with Aaron Feld in terms of getting bigger and stronger. And then he's somebody that you could unleash the following year in 2021. And I, I, I'll have a story up on the site tomorrow kind of talking about this class a little bit. But I could see him being somebody in 2021 that goes from a red shirt season to maybe being a starter or at least competing for a starting job. I, I drew the comparison uh, on a story that will come out Thursday morning uh, to kind of like Verone McKinley, where he sat his redshirt, his, his redshirt freshman year, didn't play, and then his second year in the program is a starter, is a key part of the defense. I could see that being kind of the thing with Jason Jones, too, where you've got a player who's talented, who's got a big, big frame, a lot of potential there, but maybe you want to have a year to kind of get him under his belt and sort of get figure, get all that some of that stuff figured out before you really lean on him too much. But I do think the upside is very high there. Yeah, you're you're getting a guy that that's got a ton of upside, a ton of potential, um, and the beauty of it is, like you said, Oregon doesn't necessarily need him to show up day one at Oregon in fall camp of 2020 and have to produce. Doesn't mean they wouldn't like him to, and if he does. You're already ahead of the game because that means he's beating out uh, some guys that have experience, some guys that have established themselves into the depth chart at Oregon. And Cristobal noted during, I think, your question about just how guys that have already enrolled, kind of what's the early viewpoint on those players. And one of the things that I thought was really cool or interesting that Cristobal brought up was that the team and the culture that they've developed – they don't look at guys that are coming in as highly ranked recruits, the, the, the players, and look at them as, oh, that guy's here to try and take my spot. They look at them as that guy's here to help me win. And they've really embraced uh, the new guys. And even though that a newcomer may be as talented or even better than a current guy, he said it, 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 the players 
the current players have done a really good job of welcoming these guys in. And Jason Jones is going to be someone who comes into a position group that's 100% established. And if he can push his way onto the depth chart, that means Oregon has found a guy that is really, really good uh, and, and can make an instant impact in a big way because Oregon's defensive line as a whole in 2020 is going to be one of the best defensive lines in the country. And they've got a guy that, that's going to have that chance to make an impact right away at Oregon. Now, other interesting notes from Crystal Ball. We did mention that DJ Johnson, the defensive end, has moved from defensive end to tight end, at least for spring football. Um, Crystal yeah. Ball said it was for spring. So it doesn't necessarily sound like that's a definitive, hey, he's moving and we're going to keep him there. But it is something to watch for. Um, I also thought that it was interesting that Crystal Ball noted that Robbie Ashford, the four-star quarterback, that signed out of Alabama a couple like minutes after that press conference in December ended. It was, it was crazy. Like literally the press conference ends and as everyone's standing up, Robbie Ashford commits, uh, to, to the Ducks. Um, Chris Ball noted that he looks great and he's already up to 220, 225 pounds. Ashford's listed at six foot two, 204 pounds on the bio sheet that we got. So it looks like Robbie could be kind of that big bruising type running back, you know, excuse me, type quarterback that we've seen previous teams have that, you know, you run, you know, you can run the football with and, you know, gives you that option uh, ability in, within your offense. When we, you know, that's a good point. And uh, when we heard Moorhead speak a little after Cristobal this morning, I guess maybe it was this afternoon by the time he spoke, one of the things that did stand out was, kind of how important he thinks it is to be able to run the quarterback. And I, he did say it was personnel-based. You know, uh, Basically, you have to have the right personnel to be able to execute an offense. Part of me does wonder, and I think I even said this when Ashford signed or shortly after, does wonder if they're going to groom him kind of as a running quarterback where you have Tyler Shuck handling the offense primarily, but they bring Ashford in on certain packages, certain situations, to maybe almost be like a wildcat quarterback where he has obviously the option to throw or it's a designed run play for him or you have both of them on the field sort of situation. But you're right. The fact that he does weigh 220 or 225 pounds, like Cristobal said, that has to be really encouraging in terms of what you can do with him. I and mean, that, that's the size that you would like to have a quarterback who, who will take some hits here or there. So it's going to be interesting to see how they choose to use him. We won't really have a very clear idea on that because he's not a early signee, so he'll come in this summer. So we won't really know very much about him until probably August when they start spring, or sorry, fall practice. But I do think that was an interesting note, and it was something that maybe kind of slips by you because there's so much said and, and so many different topics that were talked about today. But the fact that a quarterback, who, like you said, was at 205 approximately about a month ago when they announced the signing, is now up to 20 pounds, maybe heavier than that. That's sort of an interesting development. And again, the fact that we'll talk more about what Moorhead said later on, but the Moorhead is, it seems to intimate that they might try to run the quarterback a little bit more, that, that, that that'll be part of what they look to try to do possibly. Maybe Ashford's an answer for that too. Other items of note from Mario Cristobal's uh, press conference was he really seemed to, to rave about TJ Bass a junior college offensive lineman that signed uh, with Oregon during December, said he's a guy that's gotten to campus and has really uh, loaded up on the weight, has really loaded up on the strength. 
a guy that's, you know, tenacious in workouts and he's been pretty impressed with just the capabilities that that guy could bring to the offensive line. Certainly, I, I think that's, you know, we, we brought it up, um, in previous podcasts about guys that maybe kind of flown under the radar, but that just to me again tells me that's a guy that's really gone under the radar and could show up and day one be a contributor for Oregon along the offensive line. I asked a question to Cristobal about what, what kind of what early impressions were of the eight early enrollees, and it's interesting because Noah Sewell's on campus right now. A guy like Jay Butterfield is on campus now. Two of the more highly uh, – Jonathan Dennis, another four-star recruit. Those guys are all on campus right now. Those are some of the headliners from his class. Sewell is obviously the second-highest-rated recruit behind Justin Flo, but it was TJ Bass that he starts off talking about. Like Matt says, uh, that's who he started with, and we know Cristobal's an offensive line guy, but uh, like like Matt, I kind of read into that as – He's already making an imprint. He's already making an impression. And he's somebody who, once they do start up spring football here uh, in the next month or so, is going to be a name to be aware of and recognize because Oregon has four offensive line starting positions available. And Bass was the number one rated junior college offensive guard, I believe, in this class. He's already on campus. He's got great size. And like Cristobal says, he he starts off talking about him just about how big, how powerful he is, how he's, like Matt says, really devoted himself to the weight room, um, how he moves really well. Uh, I get the sense that this is going to be a player who, when we start spring camp here in a little bit, maybe is with the ones or the twos to start with, but by the end of camp it's kind of like, oh boy, Bass is locked in at either left guard, right guard, possibly center, um, because he does have that versatility to play a couple of spots. I think that was a very notable point that, that he did start with him. Also talked about Jonathan Dennis, the strength he has, um, how he's been an impressive uh, player in terms of wanting to work hard. Quote, you, you can't give him enough. He's always asking for more was something that Cristobal said about Dennis. I thought that was notable. It's going to be interesting to see if he's somebody that can maybe factor into that. Um, also was very high on J.J. Greenfield, Jake Shipley, Braden Swinson, Bennett Williams, a couple of defensive players. Obviously, Noah Sewell, somebody who he spent a little bit of time talking about, didn't talk <laughs> specifically about much of anything besides the fact that he had the super plan where he was enrolled at, in Eugene for a week, went to Hawaii for the volleyball, came back, uh, which is kind of an unusual circumstance. Usually when you enroll, you're just staying. You don't take a trip to Hawaii for a week, but I guess a little bit different for, for Noah Sewell. But uh, also acknowledge the fact that it's been fun seeing Noah and Penne spend time together um, and that he believes Penne has kind of helped Noah get acclimated and adjusted um, in Eugene, just because through Penn, I know I know so many players on the football team. So, so I've had some interesting stuff in terms of kind of this 2020 class, guys that are already enrolled, what they can expect. Cristobal also says um, they're expecting four more, about four more, he says. So maybe it's three to five um, in the month of April to enroll for the second portion of, of spring football practice. One quick note before we take a break here. I thought I think this is an interesting development. We've made a, a, a big discussion point on the importance of recruiting California for the Ducks. Uh, in, in 2019, Oregon signed 11 players that hailed from California. In 2020, they signed seven. Something that's really going under the radar is in that the last two seasons, the Ducks have gone into the state of Alabama and have landed two players. In 2019, the Ducks went in and they plucked Triquez Bridges, and they also added DJ James from Alabama. And this season in 2020, the Ducks have gone out and done it again. Robbie Ashford, quarterback, is from Hoover, Alabama, and now um, Jason Jones is from Clara, Alabama. And I, 
I, you know, obviously Crystal Ball's got a strong connection there. Bobby Williams, the tight end, special teams coordinator, he's got a, you know, a connection from coaching in Alabama. I think Joe Moorhead's going to help Oregon in, in recruiting that state as well, just because of his time spent as the head coach at Mississippi State the last few seasons. Oregon's showing the ability to go into SEC country and, and, and land some marquee players. I mean, Ashford was a four-star guy. Jason Jones is a recruit. Tricrez Bridges played this season. DJ James played some this season. So could be something to watch in, in 2021 and, and down below. Yeah, and it is interesting looking at the breakdown by state. You, you mentioned it, California, obviously, where the majority or the most the most representatives on this class, 20, uh, three, 22 signings, like you said, seven come from California. Alabama and Hawaii are, are the only other states with more than one signee in this class. Uh, they both have two. But you run through it. You've got a, a signee from Arizona, from Florida, Georgia, Maryland, Mississippi, Missouri, Nevada, North Carolina, Utah, Washington, obviously the notable absence there is the state of Oregon, where, where Oregon has not and doesn't look like they will sign a player. But really impressive just kind of the variety uh, in terms of where they want to land recruits this, this cycle. Um, stayed sort of in their kind of normal areas for the most part in terms of California, Hawaii, Arizona, Utah, Washington. But the fact that they were able to go have some success in the southeast again, some success – uh, a little bit in the Southwest, uh, even success in Illinois, in Missouri, and Nevada. Uh, just, just impressive to see them kind of branch out uh, and, and, and recruit the entire country. I think that's one of the things that Moorhead said was that, uh, you know, when he was at Mississippi State, they weren't as much of a national brand in terms of recruiting as Oregon is right now under Mario Cristobal. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. Matt Prame, Eric Scopel here, breaking down the 2020 recruiting class. Um, the Ducks finish, like I said, 12th in the country. Uh, they have 22 verbal commitments. Eight of those players have enrolled. Where 13 of them have signed. I guess 14 of them now have signed. Jason Jones has been announced. And a guy that also should be at least mentioned is Devin Williams. He showed up during the season as a transfer from USC. So he's going to show up on our, on our list of guys for the 2020 class, but he's already on campus. Um, I, I think first in the pack 12, uh, 12th in the country. So this is back to back years that Oregon has signed the top class in the conference. And I think that speaks volumes in of itself and is going to help Oregon in 2021 and 2022 and, and beyond because the reality is great players want to go where other great players are at. And on the West Coast right now, Oregon is the school, and it, it continues to be that way in 2020. Yeah, uh, Oregon 12th in the, in the country in terms of recruiting, Washington 16th, uh, Stanford 22nd, Arizona State 23rd. Those are the only Pac-12 schools in the top 25. So I guess they did have four schools in the top 25, but – 
from a conference perspective, Oregon, a very strong class, three five stars, only a couple programs landed. More than that, you have to go to, and there's the Blue Bloods, Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, LSU, and Ohio State also landed three, like Oregon. But I, I kind of wonder here, just in terms of the, and we've talked about this on and off on our podcast over the last year, but the way the conference seems to be falling behind on a recruiting perspective, it, it, you know, now that we've kind of got this 2020 class for the most part finalized, you look at the rankings, you look at how the state of California was kind of pillaged by other schools from other conferences. The same could be said about Arizona and, and Washington to a certain extent. Uh, Oregon recruiting at a high level, the conference as a whole isn't really there yet, or, or just not where they were previously. I wonder, Matt, if you just kind of look at this and go, Oregon with a really strong class, could this be a thing where the fact that they're recruiting at a high level, but for the most part outside of Washington, Stanford, Arizona State, the rest of the conference isn't really keeping up. Do you think that's going to be something that over the course of the next couple of seasons when we see these recruits start to become kind of centerpieces of these programs where Oregon's advantage could really, really become evident? Because it will be a thing here where some of these programs, which traditionally have been at least close to where Oregon is at from a recruiting perspective, simply are not because they've struggled on the trail. 100%. I mean, look at it in this manner. Oregon State is 52nd in the country in recruiting. That's not a surprise. That's actually pretty good for them considering yeah. historically where they're at. USC is 54th, and just one spot behind them is Washington State at 55. The Cougars and the, the the Beavers are two of the programs in the Pac-12. Just historically, for various different reasons, they don't recruit at a high level. They're always going to be in that bottom half, bottom third of the conference. Doesn't necessarily mean they can't have good success on the football field, because they have, but... From a recruiting right. ranking perspective, that's where they traditionally live, and USC is right there with them. That in of itself is just mind-boggling. Arizona is is even further down the list at 64th in the country. That's concerning, considering the talent that comes out of the state of Arizona. Uh, the fact that they can't keep some of those players. Now, Cal's kind of gone on an upswing as of late. Colorado's another school that's historically in the bottom third of the conference, and you know they're 35th, just 10 spots outside of the Top 25. U- Utah, another school that's one that normally doesn't finish in, you know, in the top 15 and you know, top 25 all that often. They're 30th. They're just right there. Uh, UCLA though, finishing 32nd. You know, that's bad. Like UCLA and USC every year should be at least at minimum in the bottom top, you know, the bottom fifth of the top 25. You know, they, they, their bad years need to be at that level. Um, Stanford, Arizona State both cracked the top 25, like you said. Washington's were kind of right, about right where they usually are, 16, maybe borderline top 10. Sometimes they get in into the top 10. Sometimes they they're, they're a little you know further back than 16th. Um, but it's becoming clear by the season in my eyes that out west at least Oregon is going to be the top dog in the conference. And you look at the the conference as a whole and. Oregon signed the third most four-star recruits. Washington had the most with nine. Arizona State had the second most with eight. And then there's the Ducks with seven. Uh, the conference signed four five-star recruits, and three of them went to Oregon. So it's not like Oregon just didn't, you know, they just loaded up on a bunch of, you know, three-star recruits to, to get the top spot. No, they, they signed three of the four best players in the conference in the 24-7 sports composite rankings this season. Two of the, and they signed two, the, the two top 
players and Justin Flo and Noah Sewell. Um, and then Dante Manning is the fourth best player entering the conference. So the league is, we're seeing the league compared to other, other leagues fall back behind. Um, but internally within the conference, Oregon every year, it seems like is starting to stretch the talent gap away from everybody else. Just one more thought to put this into context for, for fans who maybe haven't been following recruiting for very long and, and don't really understand what the dynamic had been. I just randomly pulled up the 2015 national recruiting rankings from a team perspective just to give a, a, some, I guess, yeah, some context of like how this is different than in the past. So in 2015, not much has changed to the top. Alabama was number one, but number two was USC and they signed four or five star players and their class was significantly better. Then Florida State, which was third. They were 32 points more, which is a significant amount. Number 12 nationally was UCLA. And we talked about where the Bruins are at right now. They almost signed a top 10 class. They had three five stars in that class. Oregon was 16. Oregon has now moved up a little bit. Obviously, I think this class has a lot more top tier kind of firepower than they had back then. Arizona State was 19th. And Stanford was 24th. Washington 26th. So just, but just a little bit of perspective in terms of like, It wasn't that long ago that the L.A. schools were pulling in all of this talent, and they were both landing top 10, borderline top 10 sort of classes basically every other year or most years, and especially USC was always in that top five, that top 10 range. The fact that they're both now in the 30s and the 50s like they are is is pretty significant, and I think that's where you're starting to see the rest of the country, especially the SEC and, and to a certain extent the Big Ten, really sort of take a step above the Pac-12 is because those programs are really struggling to retain their, their talent. And like I said, it wasn't that long ago that things were completely different. And you looked up and you said, hey, wow, USC almost signed the best class in the country. In fact, I'm looking a little more closely at the rankings. That season, Alabama's total point ranking on 247 was 311.1. USC was 310.88. That's a difference of like 0.2 points for USC having the number one ranked class in the country over Alabama and again, that was just five years ago. Things have really, really changed. The landscape has changed, and recruiting out west has really, uh, has really moved away from the traditional powers, which is kind of why I think you could see a scenario here where USC, if they take a step back like this from the recruiting and they're in, and they're in the 40s and 50s for a while, they are not going to be anywhere near as competitive as what they have been because it wasn't that long ago that they were bringing in some of the most talented recruits in the country year in and year out. All right, now Oregon also introduced. New offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead. Mark Cristobal fielded some questions from him as, uh, about him as well. And overall, I was pretty impressed with what Moorhead brought brought to the table. What he said, how he presented himself, very polite, uh, very genuine. You could tell this was just a good guy. And we've heard that from other people, from other recruits, that this is one of the good guys of of the coaching carousel or the coaching, you know. Community, I should say. That's a better term to, to call it. Um, and that was on display during the interview. Uh, I was pretty impressed with him. He also got some time to talk about quarterbacks. He, he obviously joked, it'd be great if we could have Justin Herbert back for a 60-year <laughs> petition, got denied for that one. But one of the things I really liked was, I mean, he's watched film on Oregon's quarterbacks, and he's watched film on the guys coming in. They signed Robbie Ashford and Brian and, and, and Jay Butterfield. Um, but the biggest thing for me is he didn't really kind of hype anyone up like right. that to me. Like I, I go back to coaches that have high success and they, they're complimentary of their players 
but they are never out there saying that they've fully arrived and that they are the best of the abet, the, the, the best of the best, on um, until they've, they've shown it on the field or on the court or whatever sport that they coach. I mean, we, we see it notoriously with Dana Altman's, you know, with his, with his coaching. Crystal Ball does it as well. Certainly talks about how excited they are to, you know, to have these guys, but doesn't come out and say that this is going to be a superstar or whatnot. And I got that same vibe from, from Joe Moorhead when he was talking about Shuck and when he was talking about Millen and was, was talking about Butterfield and Ashford. He said, talented players, excited to work with them, but wouldn't really go out there and say like, Hey, we feel like we've got a superstar at, at the quarterback spot or we're going to be totally fine with, Without, you know, Justin Herbert, yada, 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 that guy. He, he was very complimentary. Yet at the same time, it felt like there was challenges dropped, and, you know, indirectly of, hey, you, you gotta go out and you gotta earn this job, and I'm not gonna compliment you until you've, you've earned it. I, I was really impressed as well with, with how he conducted himself. He's very matter of fact. I'd say he's, I think the comparison to Altman's actually kind of a good one. Not, Obviously, we don't know too much about him, but just in terms of how pragmatic he is and what he'll say and what he's comfortable talking about, um, just really briefly, I thought it was sort of funny that he mentioned the fact that Eugene has a Target, a mall, a Whole Foods, a Trader Joe's, an ocean within 45 minutes drive, and a bunch of wineries as some of the reasons why he and his family was uh, were, were so excited about moving out here. Uh, that was kind of interesting to get that perspective of things. But you're right. And, and you know, he was also not particularly committal in talking about how they would go about running this offense or what this offense would necessarily look like. Um, you know, he did talk about how he wanted this to be a 50-50 split run pass or as close to that as possible. He said, um, kind of like what you were saying in terms of just he didn't really want to tip his hand too much, but he did talk about, uh, you know, a, a desire to be balanced, a desire to run the quarterback a little bit if the personnel is right. I think that was one of the things that stands out if you're kind of wondering about what you're getting from him. I mean, one of the things he said a couple of times, a couple of different ways, was basically, um, you know, you can only execute what the players are capable of executing, and you have to sort of tailor your offense or what you're trying to do to your personnel. So uh, I think that was really interesting and encouraging. I don't want to say that you've seen in the past. Maybe they were kind of – Running a, you know, I don't know, a, a square, square into a round hole or whatnot or, or whatever. But there were times where maybe you questioned some of the, you know, the decision making based upon uh, the, the personnel. I don't think that's something that you'll see with Joe Moorhead. Also asked about the pistol and was pretty noncommittal about what they're going to do there. He was complimentary of, of Coach Mastro, who obviously is one of the innovators of that offense. We should note really quickly that. Mastro was an internal candidate, and that was something that Cristobal mentioned during his time, was just that they, they respected Mastro. They gave him a serious look. He was somebody that they did consider, but ultimately they decided to go a different direction with Joe Moorhead. Um, but he did say that they're kind of right now running through everything Oregon did last year, things that Moorhead did at Penn State and Mississippi State, and kind of as a collective group, all the offensive assistant coaches along with Moorhead are kind of trying to figure out uh, and go through the process of figuring out what they want it to be like, and did say certainly the pistol has been part of that conversation. So we don't necessarily know if they'll still run out of the pistol, if that'll be something that they cut back on or, or entirely eliminate, but certainly I think we got some answers in terms of the kind of coach he is and how he wants to run this offense. I think we'll see a different-looking offense. He did say that that once he, you know, they're going to try to figure it out and they'll install it. It might look a little different, but certainly something I think to keep an eye out is just how this offense looks in spring because 
he didn't overly tip his hand, at least not today. Not to not to put Jerry Thompson of Ducks Illustrated on blast on this podcast, um, <laughs> okay. but he has been adamant about finding out if the quarterback is going to run down in the future for the Oregon Ducks. So it seems like the last three or four press conferences, he's asked some form of that question uh, yeah. to either Cristobal or whoever is speaking. And he asked that question today to Joe Moorhead, and Moorhead, well, didn't come out and say, yeah, we're, we're going to run the ball a ton with the quarterback. He did come out and say that he is a believer that the quarterback has to have the threat to run. He did note that, you know, they need to call certain, you know, some plays that involve decisions that could entail the quarterback running the football. I think one thing he noted, Moorhead, was that they will try to, he, he believes kind of the sweet spots around 10 to 15 calls where, the quarterback has with one of the options on that specific play to run the football. It doesn't mean every time he's going to run it, it could be a run pass situation. But Joe Moorhead did say that he believes that the quarterback should have 10 to 15 options per game to run the football. Now, again, like I said, that, that could be run pass where they, they call 15 or 10 plays where the, you know, let's say Tyler Shuck wins the, the job that he has a read to make where Depending on what the defense gives it to him, he either throws it or he runs it or he maybe he runs and then eventually pitches it to another quarterback. So if you're out there wondering where Joel Mohead stands with running the quarterback position, that's where he's at. He does believe that you have to have some kind of a semblance of running the quarterback, but he also said we're not going to run it a ton. He noted that his time at Mississippi State, they were kind of a run-heavy team, and so – their quarterbacks had to run the ball a little bit more than he normally would have liked, but he did note that there is a balance, there is a, a limit you can go uh, with the quarterback, but it does sound like at least the quarterback could be moving the, the football through the ground, on the ground, a little bit more than we've seen the last couple seasons. Yeah, and, and it'll be interesting to see how that comes together. And, and that was kind of what I was getting at a little bit earlier with uh, with Robbie Ashford and, and putting on some weight, is it does sound like there will be a commitment to running the football um, and it'll be interesting to see if, if they want to use multiple quarterbacks to accomplish that. Will they go with one quarterback to, as kind of the passing quarterback and another who kind of spearheads any run attack from that position? Um, these are questions we don't have answers to. But I, I do think that is something that if you watch Oregon football this year and, and even in the past couple of years, basically since Herbert had that injury against California that cost him about a third of the season a couple of years ago, uh, there was not a real – there was not a lot of intent to put the quarterback in harm's way. And I think Cristobal even said prior to the 2019 season at a press conference on Media Day that Oregon wasn't a, a, an offense that was really going to run the football with its quarterback. They don't run, I think he even said, we don't run our quarterback. That looks like something that's changing. Um, and, and to me, I think that's exciting um, because we saw under Oregon, obviously with different quarterback talent, different Athletes, I think if Oregon had a Marcus Mariota these past couple of years, they would have been more committed in, in terms of getting him involved in that way. Um, but it seems like those were th- that has been in the past at Oregon. A big part of what Oregon has done is is have that option to have a quarterback run the ball. Has not been that case the last couple of years. Personally, I, I would I would welcome the change to, to, to kind of going back to that. And again, it has to be like Morehead said. I agree with this. It has to be personnel based. You can't run a quarterback who's just not a good runner, who makes bad reads, who might be. Uh, injury susceptible, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you have the right people to do it, and it sounds like maybe they think they do, um, then, then I'm totally cool with it. I, I say unleash it. Let's see if that can create a different element of the offense because if if you're objective and you're an Oregon fan this last year, uh, we saw what happened over those last two games um, sort of 
what happens when you do have that threat of a running quarterback, and it was really successful first against Utah, and obviously against Wisconsin, where if we're again, if we're being honest, Oregon isn't winning that football game if Justin Herbert uh, does not have the option to to run the football like he did for three touchdowns. Um, all three offensive touchdowns came by the quarterback running. Um, I, I definitely would welcome a little bit more of that in coming years if the personnel is right and the situation is right. It's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for covering, following the coverage of the 2020 recruiting cycle. But understand that, hey, it's not over yet. 2021 has already started. The Ducks are sixth in the seventh in the country. They're pushing for the number one class in the country. It's going to be a possibility in the 2021 cycle. I wrote a story on DuckTerritory.com that just discusses about how traditionally January is a month for the final touches for your current class, and yet. It felt like for Oregon, at least, they've already got a jump start on that 2021 recruiting class because of their success in 2020. Um, I, I, I really think the 2021 class is going to be one of the you know special ones nationally. Uh, it's going to be a potentially one of the best classes. It, it's not the best class in Oregon history, so lots to follow there. And, and hopefully you guys follow the ride there as well with us as we cover that recruiting class as well. So for Eric Scopel. Myself, Matt Prem, thank you for listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Adios, amigos.